Well, I would invite you to take a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, page 840, 838, excuse me, page 838 in the church Bibles. I'm actually going to read from two passages. Uh, one, of course, is 1 Timothy, and then one just by way of memory and 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 18. We sounded beautiful when we were singing. The, ba- the passage from memory is chapter 1, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then the passage that we're going to circle around this evening is just one verse, verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Amen. Let's bow together and and pray. Our gracious God, thank you again for making this moment. And Father, we believe that when your word is truly preached, then your voice is truly heard. And this is what we seek this Christmas Eve. And this is what we need this Christmas Eve. So Father, may grace abound. May mercy be poured out. And may the help that I need to speak and everyone needs to listen may be given to us now. For Jesus' sake. Amen. In recent Sunday mornings here at West Cohasset, we have been considering together the great need to get the Christmas story right. And what I mean by this is that we've been noting the additions and subtractions that are placed in on the Christmas story by many, either harmlessly or purposely. And because of that, they have confused the Christmas story and may very well be one of the things which could ruin souls. So we have been coming to our Bibles with almost a stubbornness on not only the nature of Jesus Christ in his birth, but especially the reason why Christ entered into this world by his birth. In other words, if we had to give one solid, firm, fixed, unchanging, truthful answer, we could we could stake our life on to the question, why was Jesus Christ born into this world? Why is there a Christmas? The Bible's main and plain answer is there is a Christmas because Christ came into this world, and we read this just a second ago. Christ came into this world to save sinners. And that's it. That's why we have a Christmas. This is why Jesus Christ was born. He was born so that he could die sin because we can never be good enough for God we can never do enough to be good enough for God there's not enough Sundays in a year that could help us be good enough 
There's not enough prayers and Bible readings that could set us in the right. There's not enough money to be given. There's not enough missions to accomplish to make it so that the person knows themselves and yes, even feels themselves forgiven and to know that death, one of the penalties of sin, death, which will overtake every one of us, no longer needs to be feared and the judgment which is coming no longer needs to be feared as well. Rules and rituals cannot grant forgiveness. Religious observances or indulgences cannot grant forgiveness, but Jesus can. I think it was Pastor Timothy Keller, pastor and author Timothy Keller, who said, if we add anything to Jesus as a requirement to be happy, that's our real king. Okay, good. But we could also say, If we add anything to Jesus to have our sins forgiven, to have our conscience cleansed, to enjoy a perfect and peaceful standing with God, then we don't know the reason or as of yet have not trusted ourselves to the person and the reason that Jesus Christ was born into this world as a baby in that manger. So what I've done this evening is I set before myself the task to glorify Jesus Christ through the Christmas story anchored in this one verse and just a few others. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through four headings. They're very simple. They're going to help us track along this task. And the the headings are essentially this. Bad news, sad news, good news, great news. Bad news, sad news, good news, great news. So first of all, the bad news. Notice I didn't ask whether you would like to hear the good news or the bad news first. We're going to start with the bad news. And the bad news is that sin is a disease that infects every one of us here this evening. And it's vital knowledge that we understand this right up front. There cannot be any hiding about this. All have sinned is a basic Christian teaching. I can say, sadly, that I am a sin, sinner, and I sin way too much. And to say that it's our first need in life to learn about sin, it may seem strange to us. But in the sense that I intended is very, very true because unless we learn of sin, we'll never understand ourselves, we'll never understand others, the world, the Bible, the Christian faith, and we'll not be able to make sense of the Bible, and we'll have this ability in us to be tremendously judgmental of others, and the gospel then will seem like a nice, needed message only once, and then I can toss it away. Or the gospel is just for those really bad folks, you know, on the bad side of town. And what will happen then if we have a low or no proper view of sin is what we may do is we may try to personalize the gospel and write out our own little version of it. Or we might try to, and this is happening all the time, we might try to politicize the gospel and replace Jesus with a good president, low taxes, and a sensible Congress. Or... We might lie to ourselves and lie to others and present this picture of our life, of my life is put together pretty darn well. I only need Jesus from time to time, you know, to tackle the big stuff like death and disease and when I'm feeling sad. So Jesus Christ is taken on only as a kind of a quality of life guru who can help us activate the life we always imagine we deserve. And you see, unless we have the bad news of sin square before us we'll keep missing the point of what the bible's trying to say and who the bible's pointing to namely jesus christ and so the bad news is our knowledge of sin 
is, one, it's extremely unflattering. And, and the self-excusing instinct we have is actually a byproduct of sin itself. That's why Adam blamed Eve in the garden. That's why you and I are tempted to blame our parents, our circumstances, our co-workers, our jobs, our spouses when we sin. If I had a dollar every time I said, I'm sorry, but you really pushed me over the edge this time, sweetheart. If I had a dollar... So first of all, knowledge of sin is unflattering. Second, the bad news of sin is always set before God's holiness. In other words, when we think about sin, we dare not compare ourselves to others so that we can say, well, gosh, would you look at those people? I mean, holy cow, I am not that bad. I mean, they are really, really bad. I just made a mistake. No, no biggie. I'll do better next time. You see, the man writing the words that we read just a moment ago was a 60-plus-year-old apostle of Jesus Christ who was constantly putting himself in danger because of the message of the gospel. So because he loved Jesus, he was in jail, he was taking beatings, he was starving at times, he was being slandered about even by other Christians, all for the sake of the gospel. And this 60-plus-year-old saint and preacher was prepared to say for all time, not that he was the worst of all sinners, but that he is the worst of all sinners. Now, who talks like that anymore? Who, who thinks that way anymore? What was he doing? He, he did so much for Jesus. Well, what Paul was doing was doing this. Paul's standard wasn't other people. His standard was Jesus Christ. And that's why he said that. Finally, okay, knowledge of sin is unflattering. It's always to be set before the perfect holiness of God and every sin is ultimately an offense against God himself. So we might sin against other people and that in itself is horrible. But the greater offense is that sinning against others, we've actually sinned against God himself. This is Psalm 51, King David, when he made his horrible uh, sin and he said this, in repentance against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. And then he adds, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, if you have trouble with that last time, then just ask yourself the simple question, why do we not have to teach little children how to lie and how to hate and how to disobey? Well, we don't have to do that because sin is a disease that infects us all. Uh, your sin shouldn't surprise you. My sin, sin shouldn't surprise me because it doesn't surprise God. Listen to Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So, so what is sin? Well, here's a quote from Augustine and Packer and J.I. Packer and um, can't remember the last one. Ah, Timothy Keller. Smash into one. Sin is believing the lie that we are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained so we can go ahead and self-worship. Sin is men and women submitting, substituting themselves for God, refusing to allow the Creator to be God as far as we are concerned. 
living not for him but for ourselves, loving, serving, and pleasing ourselves with no reference to God, trying to be as far as possible independent of God, holding God at arm's length, keeping control of our life, acting as if you and your pleasure is the, is the goal to all things, God included. And if God is, is included, he must be made to function for us and not us for him. This is why Jesus does not divide the world into the moral good guys and the immoral bad guys. That's us. He shows us that everyone is dedicated to a project of self-salvation and self-satisfaction to using God and others to get power and control for themselves. We are just all going about it in different ways. So, so it could be a wild life or it could be a religious life. It doesn't matter. So sin is, is lying and lusting. It's stealing. It's greed. It's placing God as second fiddle to our seasonal or personal taste. Sin is judging others. It's rating ourselves in relation to others and rating others and how much good they can do for us. Sin is hurting others. It is ignoring others. It is hating our enemies. Now tell me how hard it is in this day and age not to hate our enemies, especially those overseas. Sin is darkness. That's the bad news. Now the sad news. Well, the sad news is because of the bad news, and the sad news is simply this. There is a punishment to be paid for sin. There's a punishment to be paid for sin. And the punishment comes both in time and ultimately in eternity. And and listen carefully. The punishment in time comes from our foolishness and our inability to trust God's truth and live for God's Son. In time, the Bible in both Testaments gives us a picture of how sin frustrates us so. Let me just read one passage, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 20. The bed you have made is too short to lie on. The blankets are too narrow to cover you. In other words, what Isaiah was saying is sin in time will, will mark everything we have and do with a sense of frustration. With everything and everyone, nothing will ever be quite right. There'll never be enough. There'll always be stresses and annoyances, weariness and disappointments. And, and we may find temporary fixes, especially religious fixes, but they won't last. We'll change things up, but they'll disappoint us as well. Sin in time. Also sin in eternity. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And Paul, what he does here is he uses this word uh, wage figuratively to imply that this is something we are getting because we, we earn this. We work for this. So if you like, Paul opens up the salary bag of a sinner and all he finds in the bag is death because the wages of sin is death. Our first parents were warned about this in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. If you sin, you shall surely die. Okay, well, what do you mean? Well, a spiritual death, a separation of God because of sin. You're going to have to leave paradise. Humanity will be cut off from God. Humanity, in essence, will be dead to God. Natural death. That's why we grow old. This is why we die, sin. And then finally, in the worst, eternal death, which means punishment, an eternal separation from God, which Jesus Christ described often in the Gospels as hell. And let no one deceive you of this. Now, if we ended right here, I may have just ruined your Christmas Eve. 
But we're not going to end here. And thank God that it doesn't end here. Bad news, sin is our problem. Sad news, if not dealt with, a coming judgment before God, a judgment which is awful and painful and will be felt mentally and physically for all eternity, a judgment which is in essence a living death. But there's good news. And the good news we've been singing about. The good news begins with the baby. Now I want you to think with me, just on a practical level. Why are there so many Christmas songs and hymns which are just filled with joy and with happiness? We didn't sing it, but joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, right? Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We sang that. Okay, why do we do that? And ask yourselves, why do we exchange gifts? And why do we give gifts to others? And many of us are going to have some spectacular food tonight, and we're going to bring out our best china, and we're going to party, and we're going to have music, and it's going to be playing, and we're going to be playing, and all the kids can stay up late and eat candy till whenever they want. (laughs) Just kidding about that one. But we did used to do that at our house. We're going to do stuff this time of year that we don't typically do with people we don't typically see. Now, where did all that start? Well, in 1954, the retail and travel industry got together and planned, no. No. That's why I can't stand Christmas letters who tell me, don't give anybody gifts. I mean, come on. We got all that stuff from the story. We were dead in our sins, and we were hopeless and powerless to do anything about it. And we needed God to come down to give us the free gift of salvation, which would come at a great price. And God did that. He did that. And our gatherings, the giving, the receiving, the singing, the eating, the pleasures, in some sense, is a small picture. A small picture of what heaven will be like. And for those of us who have known loss, this year or other years, and Christmas hurts a bit, then Jesus is the comforter. He's the counselor. In fact, he's the mighty counselor. And he counsels us with words of his love, and he promises us that there is a better day coming. Can you believe it? On the other side of death. On the other side of death, your best day. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, Now, every... Party has a party pooper, right? At least one. So let's pretend for a moment that you're the party pooper. And you're like, you know what? Will you just turn it down a notch? I mean, besides, look at the world. I mean, if God is love and God is all-powerful, would you look at the world? It is in a mess. Okay. But I want you to consider the story. I want you to consider the depth and the mercy and the humility of Jesus Christ's birth. Because in this story, there's prophecy and there's a sovereignty of God in the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Jesus should have been born in Nazareth. However, the prophets of old said that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem. So what happened? Well, Caesar Augustus just happened to want a census of the entire Roman world. Listen to your Bibles. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So this little happening that just happened 
was the sovereign plan of God. And so to conduct this census, those under Roman jurisdiction had to go back to the place of their birth. Joseph's place was, you guessed it, Bethlehem. And Joseph, because he was a good man, he took his bride Mary on a very difficult journey of a, for a pregnant woman to protect her from the shame that all that would, in, she would encounter and obey Caesar and sign in. And they do that, and the rest, they say, is history. Again, your Bible, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, sovereignty and prophecy. Now, I want you to consider, believe it or not, astronomy in the Christmas story. Consider the fact that God essentially stopped a star... Matthew 2.9, over the place the child was, so that the Magi could worship the child. This is, this is what it means. God broke into his created order and did the miraculous and stopped a star over a certain place. So whether it was a supernova nova, or some kind of planetary conjunctions or both, God stopped a star. And this astronomy was so that the royalty could help explain that the child was divinity, that he was God, in order that the Magi could bring Christ gifts. And those gifts would show us who he really is, gold, the treasure of kings, frankincense, an important part of Israel's worship to God in the Old Testament, a myrrh, a spice used to embalm the dead. So all those gifts gave indication that the child is the king of all kings. This child is God. And as God, this child will take on the sins of the world, carry it in his body, and die with it on the cross. Because this child, with a star over his house, that God did, is the Savior of the world. So I want you to think with me. God is about to change the course of all human history. The most important three decades in all of time are about to begin. And what is God doing? God is working towards the forgiveness of our sins. God is working things out that his justice can be satisfied because he's holy and his mercy can be poured out because he's the God of all grace. So God's moving a king, moving a star, he's moving the magi, and he's moving people. In fact, at the heart of the Christmas story, he's operating through like normal average people. In fact, you could really say that God is actually choosing some oddities to get this story happening. This is what I mean. You have a very old, barren woman who has a very old husband who was praying that she, the very old wife, would become pregnant. Now think about that. That's Elizabeth. I mean, if I tried that at home right now, (laughs) you just don't do those things in our house. And you also have a very young woman, unmarried, who has no business getting paired pregnant. So God is working his purposes out in Elizabeth so that John the Baptist can be born to to prepare the way for Jesus. And God is working out his purposes in a very young virgin Mary who will give birth to a Jesus who is the son of God and she hasn't even married yet. Well, try that. He's going to work through the evil and powerful Herod. He's going to work through the poor and lowly shepherds. He's going to work through a holy host of angels. He's going to work through a very old and devout Simeon, a very long time devoted Anna, all to give weight and to give confidence and to give depth in the midst of a broken and dark world that God loves this world. 
that this child is king. And so this child, who always existed because he's God, yet was born into this world as a baby to start that 33-year track to his death on a cross in order that all our sins, past, present, and, and future, will be forgiven and finally be forgiven. And so that we would know and feel forgiveness. We would know no guilt. We would know God's peace. We could become God's child, become part of God's family, feel God's love, and live for God's pleasure now on earth and one day soon in heaven. That's the good news. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sins forgiven. Death defeated. Life without end with God. That's the good news. Bad news, sin is our problem. Sad news, if left unforgiven, it will lead to eternal punishment. Good news, Jesus on the cross has taken that punishment and look how much God did to arrange for the removal of that punishment. Kings, stars, angels, odd, strange people. How could we ever doubt God's love? How? How? So the great news is, tonight, the free gift of salvation which Jesus purchased for you, it can be yours. The Christian gospel is this. I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so valued and loved that Jesus was glad to die for me. It's a gift we need to receive. It's a gift we need to open if we will know eternal life with God. So if you need to, and I hope you're here, if you need to, take the gift. Take the gift. You and I are going to walk out of here in just a few minutes. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you know him as your King, if you know him as the greatest treasure of your life, you're going to walk out with Jesus. You're going to walk out with his blessing his promise, his joy, his love, and his righteousness. And he's never going to leave you. If you do not know Jesus, then when you walk out, all it will be is now, and then later, and then later. But Jesus is calling for you to surrender now. He will forgive, restore, help, and change. Life will have meaning. Death will have no victory. Okay. Bad news, sad news, good news, great news. Let's give the last word to Jesus. From the Gospel of John, For this reason I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. And the me, of course, is Jesus. Let's bow together, please. If the ushers would come forward to begin to light our candles as I pray.
O holy child of Bethlehem. Descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things, Father. Amen.